Amen. Well, I want to turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Be reading through six verses of Scripture. Romans 15, verse 14. We find that the Apostle Paul, leading up to this, is discussing his efforts to minister unto the Gentiles. Paul is trying to bring the two groups together, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he uses the best example we could ever use, Jesus Christ, to appeal to the entire group. He begins in verse 14, and it says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren. It's talking to the church, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Early in the letter, you see where the Apostle Paul had some strong words to say. It begins to try to draw these people together. The Jews and the Gentiles begins to minister to the church. And we appreciate that he was able to speak those words with boldness as God had given him the grace because we use those, those words today. Amen. Reading on in verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by the word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, and round about Arilicum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Amen, amen. I want God to reach down and help me, amen, deliver the word of God. But I want to preach this morning the greatness of speaking goodness. The greatness of speaking goodness. If you can lay your Bibles down this morning and join together as a church family this morning once again. Lifting our voices and our hearts and our minds unto Him. Asking God to touch us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Master, for this time to come together. Master, we ask for You to be with us, each and every one. God, I need Your anointing upon my mind, my heart, God. Let the words be said that You would say, God, to this house today. God, we want You to lead us and guide us through Your Word. Not of my own, Master, but as the Apostle Paul said, words of the Holy Ghost to lead us, God, and to speak, God, to speak to our hearts. I ask you in the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I know that sometimes, every once in a while, depends on if you're not familiar with that pew, you'll find a sleeping button. And if you find it, I just ask you to move off of it this morning. Nobody's sitting Brother Weems' spot because it's assured. 
that you will find the sleeping spot. Amen. I know the spirit of Brother Weems has already been made himself evident this morning through Sister Reba, but God's touched her, and she stepped out for a moment, but God has touched her and been good to her. We were joking with her this morning about it. She'd come in, and Brother Jerry was like, should I turn the fans on? And you can only imagine the response that was given. It was just as Brother Weems would have given, and uh, we had a good laugh this morning. Amen. But I want to deliver the Word of God that is laid on my heart. I was reading through a passage of Scripture, and I ran across a note that was parallel to this Scripture in my Bible in chapter 14 of Romans. I don't have it in my notes, but I'll just reference it. But I found it interesting when we're talking about the goodness of God. The reason I know about the goodness of God is because it's written in the Word of God. It's declared. It's testified. And it's beautiful when the saints of God get an opportunity to testify they stand up and begin to declare the goodness of God. And we would think it odd if the testimony service was all of the great things that uh, the devil has done or the oppression that he has done or the things that he has afflicted upon them. But it is quite the contrary. When God's people get an opportunity to speak about the goodness of God, it is uplifting. It is something that just when you're in His presence, talking about His goodness, it has an impact on your life. And just the other day, I spent a few hours talking to a fellow minister, it was Brother Mays, and, and began to hear him just begin to talk about all that God is doing. And it was so uplifting and so enriching within my soul to hear the things that God is doing that tells me that even little old me that God has a place for me that he can reach into my life and do great things and he can do the same for you it's not just upon the elect it's not just upon the handful God gives promises to all that will come in and obey the word of God and as I was reading in Romans chapter 14 I found the note where it was Elder Paget just a few weeks ago made the comment about this verse of Scripture talking about the righteousness of God. But he says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. And he said, this is more uh, something how he reads it and understands the Scripture. He said, the righteousness is not just something uh, that just flows into the part of a package, but it's sequential. And he made the comment, and I... I, I impacted me, and so that's why it's written down in my Bible. But it says, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And he made the comment, he says, you cannot have peace and joy in the Holy Ghost until you have rightness with God. And I begin to think about that. Why would God give us such treasures if you're not right with God? Why do I think that I deserve peace and joy in the Holy Ghost if I don't have the rightness of God in my life? It's a good question to ask yourself. Am I right with God? You know, there's going to be a day to where that is going to be answered for each and every one of us. Are you right with God? But what he does is he gives us a promise that here on earth, Brother Jerome, he says that if you will take on the rightness of God, I'll give you peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you are willing to make the commitment 
of ripeness with God. I'll take care of you. And so, in way of introduction, we talk about the goodness of God. There are so many things that we can talk about in regards to speaking of how good God is. We hear of the old timers share the testimonies and the stories of what God has done. And I love getting together with God's people, especially God's people that like to talk about Him because it does something to me. It lifts my spirits up. It tells me that God has not forgotten about me. And we'll get into it here in just a moment. But Moses was one who had doubts or wanted confirmation. God, do you know who I am? And I'm here to tell you this morning, through the message, you will find out that God knows who you are. You can ask God all the questions you want because He hears your voice and He knows who you are. So regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what life has dealt you, regardless of the situation that you are in, I can assure you, God knows who you are. When we read through Scripture, we see the word goodness as we read and we'll find it further on into our text. Goodness is almost one of those words that are throw away in our modern language. It's used as an expression of disbelief or frustration. Someone may have something happen and they'll say, for goodness sake or goodness, something shocks them and did not realize that was going to happen. But the goodness as used in the Bible has not exceeded its useful life. In fact, we are lost without the goodness of God. His moral excellence, if we do not have the moral excellence of God in our life, we have nothing good for us to draw from. We are instructed to have goodness listed as the fruit of the spirit of kindness one toward another. For people, goodness is not a natural part of our character we are by nature, nature, we are sinners, a flesh that desires to turn away from God and to not heed His word. We desire to obey Him in our nature. That's who we are. And a peek ahead, the direction we're going this morning, the only way to find goodness in your life is through Jesus Christ. That is the only way that it can be found. It is through the goodness of Jesus Christ. There are people that declare themselves as ambassador, ambassadors of goodness. There are people that declare that they try to be the good in the world around them. That's them just being kind in their own fleshly way, but God intended upon us to depend upon the excellence of goodness that only He can deliver to our life. It is only upon Him that we can trust and have reliance on to know that there is anything good in us, it is because He gave it to us. We cannot do this on our own. 
We are all in an apprenticeship for us to understand what it takes to be like Jesus. We are all in this quest, and it will not be finished until he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is when our apprenticeship of understanding what it means to become like him is complete. That's when we will become perfect, mature, in this world is our only goal that we can be, have our eyes set upon. But when we become as He is, and when we behold Him with our eyes, that is the only time that we will become perfect and understand fully what the goodness of God truly is. And He has all of eternity to share with us all that He's done for you and I through our life here on earth. But it is upon us to be dependent upon the goodness of God. We find in a passage of Scripture, God speaking to Moses in the tabernacle that was set up outside the camp. We've heard this mentioned many times. Preachers talk about this as a very um, pivotal time in what happens in the children of Israel, we'll find that Moses takes the tabernacle from outside of the middle of the camp and sets it up outside. And then goes in and begins to talk to God and God meets with him. We find that in the verse of Scripture. But it's amazing that God gave promises that his presence would go with them. And Moses tells the Lord that if you're not going to go with us, don't take us out. Don't take us out if you're not going to be right there with us. And Moses in this dialogue begins to make sure that the next step that the children of Israel takes is with the Lord. It's not them on their own. And Moses asked the Lord, how will I know that I have found grace in your sight? And God's response is profound. And it opens the door for Moses to record the early works of God that we read even today. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 7, 30, I'm sorry, 33 and verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. I know thee by name. And Moses responds in verse 18. He says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God said, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Whenever Moses begins this dialogue with God, one who had spoke to him from a burning bush, as he's out there just being a shepherd, serving, 
And God calls Moses and gives him a promotion. And when God reaches down into this dialogue with Moses, and it's a beautiful passage if you read on down through in Exodus chapter 33, we find where God reveals himself to Moses and allows him to understand all that had happened. And Moses began sitting there with tablets of stone and Moses documents and begets the word directly from God himself. Moses had a special relationship with God. One that he could go into the tabernacle and God would manifest himself and be seen by the children of Israel as they stood in the doors of their tent and they would stand there in awe and rejoice because God had come down to visit with Moses, their leader. What a powerful thing to see. We find that when God proclaims His goodness, He can speak to all that He has done, and He can speak with the future in mind. Because God knows our tomorrows. He understands our todays. He knows the loneliness of a heart. He understands the desperation of tears and prayers that are prayed. He understands that in the quiet times that He is able to reach down and minister to the heart that does not understand the next step to take. God is able to reach down and minister in that time of need and make Himself known. And more importantly... He's able to speak the word and say, I know your name. And he speaks of your present, your past, and he speaks of tomorrow. It's all valuable because he knows what your name is. You see, Moses, oh, Moses had access to something here. Moses had access to something no one else could do. Moses was called to have this relationship with God. Each and every one of us today, we have access to something that not everybody does. Churches across this nation and around this globe all gather together and hopefully read scriptures from a Bible the anointed, the Word of God given to men to speak to our hearts today. But yet not everyone felt the presence of God even as we felt it kindling during the worship service. They felt nothing. We have this opportunity to come into an apostolic service and to make sure that we have the rightness of God so we can feel the peace, love, joy in the Holy Ghost as is promised. And he can send a word, a spoken word today to tell somebody, I know your name. I know your name. There is greatness in speaking goodness. You see, God has a plan for each and every one of us. Just as he did when he called Moses out of the wilderness and pulled him out from being the shepherd. God wants to lead and guide those of you today. He wants to speak 
to your heart. He wants to take you places you never thought nor imagined. But you have to get your mind set upon him. You have to get your mind fixed upon him because there's something he's wanting to do in your life. But you have to be willing to depend upon the goodness of God. You cannot do this on your own. No plans you can make. There's no documents you can create. No inspiration you can take from others. But I'm here to tell you today that if you want the goodness of God in your life, you're going to have to depend upon His infallible will. The greatness of God is the only thing that we get strength from. It's His ability to step into our tomorrow and fix it when we pray about it today. No matter how we complain and how low life may be for you right now, you need to speak of the greatness of his goodness. My, my. In Exodus chapter 34, in the very next chapter following what we just read in the description of what Moses was told by God that says, listen, I'm going to show you some things. We find that God honors that and begins to continue. And it says, and the Lord descended in a cloud in verse 5 of chapter 34 and stood there with him. I'm with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means, and that will and will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and upon the children's children unto the third and unto the fourth generation. You see that God made a promise unto Moses and declared unto him, listen, I am the Lord, the one that can do all things. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep the thousands and forgiving the iniquity or the lawlessness and the transgression and the sin. He is a forgiving God. That's who we serve today. It's not one that's just full of judgmental attitudes and one that just wants to come upon you and wants to beat you down and one that wants to put you in a place oh, it's so far from Him. But I'm telling you, God, even in this very moment, is wooing hearts unto His presence. And He wants you to know that He is the Lord. He is the Lord God, the one who can take care of all things. Full of mercy and grace. One who is long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And it's because of that. It's because of everything that the Lord is, Moses is hearing, that he's able to keep the thousands. He's able to forgive the iniquity. He's able to take the transgressions and the sin and forgive them and clear the guilt off of their life. That promise is available even today. But what he told Moses is it doesn't stop with just youth. 
It doesn't stop with this generation, but it continues to go on after generation after generation. He's letting Moses know that this is beyond just about you. I have a plan for my people. But in contrast, when man speaks of God, we are limited by what we have experienced, what we have heard, what we have read, things that have impacted us personally. That's why a testimony is so powerful. But the greatness of what we know becomes even greater when we speak of the goodness of God. God gave us a testimony. He gave us a powerful testimony. That it be not hid. That it not be the light that is hid and not shown before all men. God gave us all the impact on our life and is upon us to take and speak of the greatness of God. Because you know what it is? Your testimony when you woke up and began to share it, is the confirmation to someone who does not know that God knows exactly where they're at. When you begin to share about the greatness of God, Sister Desiree, people that you may have spent your entire career around, your life around, but when you share the testimony of God, they say there really is a God. It confirms something for them. He knows who I am. And that God would take and send down someone to dig me out of the life that I am in right now. God knows who you are. But when, God, when man speaks of God, we are limited by our own experience. We find in the first revelation of the Lord's name, the children of Israel find deliverance. The I am delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. We find that the I am, the Lord, the Lord God, the one almighty who has everything, delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, shall say and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? Moses is having a powerful discussion with God. He's saying, I need you to tell me who you are. If you're giving me a position of authority, I must come and speak under authority. Of whose name am I coming? Of whose authority am I referencing? Of whose God am I talking about? And God responds to Moses in verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob have sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. He's letting them know that, listen, the I am, the I am, meaning all that you will ever need is found in me. We find that there's an opportunity for when Moses takes that message and begins to stand before the ruler of Pharaoh and begins to stand there and tell them we need to go worship in the wilderness. You need to let us go. You need to make way so that we can go and worship. We find that Pharaoh responds as only man can. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And there are people even today that do not know who He is. That even sit on apostolic pews that do not know who He really is. They have been invited and they come into the house of God and they think they have an understanding. They think they know exactly what He is. They read the Scriptures, but they have never experienced the power of God Himself. They don't know what He can truly do in their life because they have not surrendered to truth, they still hold on to the things of Egypt. And just like Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? People can hear your testimony, and it sounds so foreign, because they don't have one that's similar to them, to where they can say, you know what? I found him in my life the very same way. But God wants to reach down into lives today. Those listening. Those in the future. Those present. God wants to reach down and to show someone today, I am. I am. I can be everything you need me to be. And you may have some form of religion. Pharaoh, you have your gods. But you did not recognize the I am. You have your tradition, Pharaoh, but you have no recollection of the I Am. You don't feel Him. You're not led by Him. You're not guided by Him. You can't explain Him. You don't have that I Am moment in your life when He reached into your life and changed you forever. You cannot even testify about the I Am. It's just tradition. But God wants to give somebody their moment when the Lord, the Lord God, steps into their life today and gives them that moment to where He'll answer that question. Who is the Lord? In Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should obey His voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither Will I let Israel go? It is your not knowing that keeps you from getting the blessings of God. It is your not knowing that keeps your path in darkness. It is your not knowing that makes the life you live a drudgery. It is your not knowing that you don't have the rightness with God, the peace and the joy in the Holy Ghost. It is your not knowing, Pharaoh, that before you stands your I am moment, if he only understood how God was going to have a relationship 
with the children of Israel, how he was trying to woo them. But here's the problem. God picked Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't pick God. You see, God picked Pharaoh. We'll read about it in the verse of Scripture where God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. I don't even know who he is. It was because God had a plan for Pharaoh. And God used this opportunity to show Pharaoh who he is. In Romans chapter 9, in verse 15 it says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture hath said unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will hardeneth. He makes sure that Pharaoh goes down in history as a man with a hard heart, a heart that wasn't towards God. One, when he had his God moment, when the man of God was standing before him, he says, I don't know who he is. And God, he hears the statements of unbelievers. He had a plan, as we just read in Romans, about how he had a plan for the life of Pharaoh. He had a plan for an unbeliever and used to harden the heart and make that example unto the children of Israel. You see, it was after this time period we find where the children of Israel went, served God, done their thing, but children of Israel struggled time after time with their backsliding, forgetting God, forgetting the greatness of God, forgetting how good He is. Even though they had the songs, they still walked away from God. They had the times when men of God stood up and gave them the word, yet they still walked away. God was using this example to Pharaoh, say, listen, if you will not serve me, I will show you how strong the gods that you have confidence are, really, really are. The difference between how Pharaoh and Moses acted when the name of the Lord is revealed is on opposite ends of the spectrum. You see, Moses believed, Moses believed and spoke of the goodness of God and recorded the treasured beginnings. But Moses was more than God's personal scribe. He was the mouthpiece of God. And when God and Moses got together, as I said before, the children of Israel stood at the entrance to their tents and began to worship as they saw the cloud descend upon the tabernacle and stand there and God commune with Moses and began to speak to him. That is the response that the children of Israel had when they realized God is here with us. But Pharaoh... Pharaoh, full of pride, with a hard heart, dismissed the thought that there could be a God any greater 
than all of the Egyptian gods. Yet what stood before him was Moses saying, Our God wants us, the Lord wants us to go out and worship Him. You see, man's heart is presented with multiple, multiple opportunities to declare the greatness of God's goodness. Pharaoh is an example of resisting the greatness of God and losing his life to testify of how good God is. You see, just the other day, as Brother Brandon Hilton preached, I believe he talked about how Pharaoh was swallowed up and his army. You see, it was him and his army that was sacrificed. When the waves began to come in after the chariot wheels fell off and they began to get stuck in the mud, Pharaoh realized just how good and how great the God is that the children of Israel serve. Pharaoh sat there, and you can only imagine the fear that came upon the heart of him and his men as the waters began to come towards them again. And Pharaoh is offered up as a testimony of how good God is. On the other side, on the shores of deliverance, the children of Israel began to worship the goodness of God. On the shores of deliverance, as the waters began to come back together again, there was the place of worship that came together as they began to magnify His goodness and began to praise His name together. As they pulled out the tambourine and began to dance and worship and lead together a nation, a called out ones to begin to worship it was all because Pharaoh was a part of the testimony of God. God is good. And Pharaoh becomes a part of history as being destroyed because of his hardness. It's interesting what God had to do to reach down and touch those Egyptians and inflict upon them the plagues and reach down and touch every god that they could worship and began to break them down, and yet Pharaoh, full of pride and with a hard heart, would not yield himself to the Word of God, and still just pushed against the children of God. Until God had to reach in and touch him where it hurt him most, taking his beloved son away from him. You see, when man speaks of God's greatness... It is our experiences. And if Pharaoh could stand today and begin to declare what he observed, it would be skewed from the heart of someone who was hard. But you know the things that he saw happen in his kingdom. Of He's seen the waters. He's seen the serpent. He's seen the buds on the rod. He's seen the locusts come through. He's seen everything that happened in his kingdom that he thought he was the greatest but God used those things that He inflicted upon Pharaoh and His people to show the world that God is greater. It was not always about Pharaoh and about the children, but the Scriptures in Romans tell us it was to show the greatness of God to a world, not just a nation. And sometimes we get stuck in our little 
four walls mentality and we think, God, do you know my name? And he's trying to use you, to show you. He's trying to reveal himself to you. He's trying to give those God moments, but we get so caught up in this is who I am. This is who I always be. I just have to have the career, the home. I have to have the sustenance. I go to the grocery store on this day. And we build ourselves into the box of this world, which is the God of those that don't know who the I am is, building their life to serve. It's the routines of life that people find comfort. It's the attractions of this world that people find comfort and distractions from their miserable life. And if we're not too careful, we'll get caught up in the things of this world and we'll begin to line the shelves of our abode with the things that have made in Egypt on the bottom as Bishop preached the beautiful message a few weeks back. God wants us to inspect, check everything. Don't let those things come into your heart. Don't put them on the shelf just because they look glitzy and glamorous, but God wants us to understand everything we know about Him is from His greatness. Declaring the goodness of God, we have to be able to proclaim that God is good and His mercies endure forever. We don't have to ask, does He know who I am? I know who I, I know that He knows who I am because there was a time. There was a day that he reached into this old boy's heart and he began to wash me with his blood and it wasn't something that he had his angels do. It wasn't something that he had somebody else take care of, but it's something that God took personally where he reached down and poured the blood of Jesus Christ upon my life and washed my sins away because he loved me so much that he felt the pain and suffering of this life so that I would know who he is. And he could call me son. And he could call you daughter. God knows who you are. But you have to be able to proclaim the greatness of his goodness. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, and it says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Don't confuse the goodness in this verse of Scripture with the goodness that God declared unto Moses that was of moral excellence. Different word. We find when God began to reach into the life and the Apostle Paul began to speak these words and began to share with them the anointed Word of God. He gave them something that they should do. He gave them action. In verse 14, it tells them that I am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you're full of the goodness. You have the kindness. You're filled with the knowledge. And you're able to admonish one another. You see, there's a verse of Scripture that came to mind when I read this passage. In Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, it says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
Dr. Albert Barnes says it this way, at all times a friend loveth, but in, in, in adversity he is born and becomes a brother. You see, it was upon them, and as the Apostle Paul began to talk to the church, telling them, I need you, the church needs you, one another, to admonish one another about the goodness of God. I need you to speak one towards another. We read through some of our text, and we'll get to it here in a moment, where the Apostle Paul is speaking how I'm trying to reach the Gentiles, but there's something I can't do in order for me to reach them. You see, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15 begins to tell them, Brethren, you are filled with the ability to admonish one another. I need you to do it. Saints of God, we're here to admonish one another. We're here to lift each other up in the, the promises of God. We're here to lift each other up. It's not about the, just the fellowship after service, but the most important fellowship starts when we walk in and we find us that place to pray and we begin to magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's when fellowship truly begins in the apostolic fashion. That's what God has designed us for. That way at the end of service, you know what the conversation is. It doesn't turn to the things of this world, but it turns to the things of the kingdom, the things of God. It's the things that really, really, really matter. We are to admonish one another. It is by speaking greatness of God's goodness. You see, the brother, it takes time to build relationships. They're not always forged just by immediate, oh, introductions. And all of a sudden you have this deep, just beautiful relationship that you value so dearly in your heart. But it takes going through some trials. It takes going through some things to help each other. It takes going through some things and understanding what it is to bear the burden of your friend, your brother and sister. It takes going through some things to be getting up and praying and crying out their name, being that word of encouragement. And then you become more than just a friend. You become a brother. Out of respect, we call each other brother and sister because God has placed us into the family that He has so beautifully orchestrated each and every one of us and put us together to be a part of the church, the bride. We don't get to pick each other, but it's such a beautiful picture that's portrayed when you walk into a godly, apostolic church and you know that truth is being preached and you see the impact of the Word of God upon the hearts of your brothers and sisters. And it's God creating this beautiful picture that He's going to bring together when time no longer exists. God is going to bring it all together and He's going to place this church, the Truth Church, and the extensions of the Truth Church. And He's going to bring it all together and He's going to put us in our final place. And it's going to be beautiful because it's all found in Him. I have found the church doesn't get any more appealing with my bad attitude. 
I've never brought a sinner in. I've never had a Bible study because of my bad attitude. I've never been able to share the gospel and used a jumping off point of the way I treated someone poorly and had to go back and apologize. Those things are our nature. But God has the way to reach in and touch each and every one of those with His goodness. He gives us the path to walk. He gives us the example. And we are all human. Every one of us, every one of us make mistakes, but we have to lean on the goodness of God. You see, when your brother is under attack, when your sister is under attack, we speak goodness, not judgment. We need to be careful how we measure the words that come out of our mouth. You know, we have to be careful even, the Scripture tells us about the thoughts we think. Bring them subject unto Him. I hope that maybe there's some conversations that may be prompted in your mind that you've had. You maybe need to go back and rethink. There's some words I said that I need to go take care of. Not because I said them to somebody, maybe. Maybe it was a conversation that I thought was private between an individual and myself. But in that conversation, I did not speak of the goodness of God. I had a situation just recently to where I had every opportunity to use a situation as fodder. And it's so easy because it's our nature to jump back and grab the six gun and shoot someone out of the saddle and say, that bullet had their name on it. But it takes, and it took some struggle. And I'll be honest, I wrestled for a moment and said, God, I'm not going to give place to that spirit. Because here's what it's trying to do. It's trying to drive that wedge between me and a brother. And every time I think on it, I'm driving it deeper and deeper. But I had to say, you know what? I'm going to speak of the greatness of God's goodness. Because God's hand is on that person. God's filled them with the Holy Ghost. God's given them a testimony. Who am I? Who am I? We are commissioned to speak greatness. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. I'm giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. 
You see, this isn't only speaking of a church service. It says do all. That means do everything that you do according to His Word. Keep God at the forefront. Here's the thing. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've never spoken tongues as God confirms the obedience in your life, and confirms that His Spirit is inside of you, you can't do this. You need His help. You have to have His strength to do all. If you're in a place of a dryness and a drought, you can't do this on your own. But we have to depend upon Him so we can do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Slowing things down, even if you didn't think it could get any slower or quieter. I want to go back to our text. In Romans chapter 15, Paul is telling the church at Rome that he's confident in their state of the heart. He says, you're able to edify the church. He tells them, and gives them importance in the following passage. But he says, I want you to think on this as well. In Romans 15 and verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in my mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Reading on down, he says, For I dare not, in verse 18, For I dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. You see, the Apostle Paul reaching for the Gentiles fully understood that he could not reach them by the things in his life that were not of the Holy Ghost. He says, for I dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. He says, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around about, in Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul fully understood. He goes, I can't win them through all of these things that God has done. I can't win them through just the actions. I can't win them even in my own flesh. I can't win anyone. I can't pull anyone out of a life of sin and shame. But there's only one message that I can preach, and that's the gospel of Christ. The Gentiles do not need to hear about the things in my life, nor do I need to, them to understand, oh, well, God's using me in this way. I don't need to be able to share with them about the works of miracles and signs and wonders, but it is the absolute most powerful miracle there is. It's the miracle of Jesus Christ and the washing away of sins. You see, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us about it. About the goodness of God that leads all men unto repentance. The Apostle Paul, in an attempt to reach the Gentiles, he preached Jesus Christ to those around him. And their life was changed. That's the same answer that we have today in this service. It is preaching Jesus Christ. We have to understand that God's provision is great. 
but his salvation is even greater. God gives the choicest of blessings to his children. We read in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 25, And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and oliveyards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. You see, when God provides... He has a way of providing that no one else can provide. The beautiful thing that Nehemiah is talking about, the things that others had labored so hard for, so diligently for, and planted year after year and put in the hard work so that it was resilient and the crops were there. It says they walked in and they took those strong cities. You know why? It's because God was greater. That's why. It wasn't because of something they were able to do. It's because God is greater. If you find yourself lacking things in life and not understanding what it is, I'm here to tell you, you can get what you need in life, but it's only through God. I heard of something the other day heard an Amish man say, make a statement. He said, bitterness destroys the vessel. Bitterness destroys the vessel because it eats and corrodes that which holds and is supposed to hold the precious things. And he was talking about how it's easy to live without things when they don't hold value in your life. If you give value to something, then you have placed it in a place of importance. And he was talking about the simplistic life of the Amish people. And saints of God, there are things in our life that God wants to give us. But we have to be willing to walk away from things that weigh you and I down. Things that it's easy to pick up. And before you know it, you have a pocket full of things that just looked appealing. Or I'll clean this up and see what it looks like. You see, sin is never worth picking up. Sin is something that you can never pick up and begin to put it in the right thing for you to pick up and make it something better than what it currently is. You see, sin is that thing, that thing, that when you pick it up, it changes you. You never change it. Sin is always in a constant state of corrosion. Bitterness is in a constant state of erosion. Sin will always, always win if there's not the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Sin will always destroy if you don't get it out of your life. You see, rust, oh, you think you may have some things under control. You may think, well, I'll knock the rust off of things in my life. But you know you can put 
oil upon a surface that has rust, and you can prevent it from being rusting further. But there's still the impact of sin that's present. And unless you cover the sin in your life with the blood of Jesus Christ, unless you go down in a watery grave being baptized in His precious name, unless you come to that altar of repentance and walk away from that life that is consuming you, you are just trying to maintain something that is continuing to erode and corrode and destroy you. Bitterness destroys the vessel that holds it. And it will no longer be a vessel if you allow bitterness to sit there and still continue to eat at you and you make other people's problems your problems. And bitterness says it's now our problem. Welcome, friend. You need to lose sight of those things and focus on the greatness of His goodness. His ability to give you things that He's having other people take care of in this moment. Now this isn't, I'm not talking about distributed wealth of this world. I'm not talking about the things that the world would like for you to focus on. on someone's going to give you a mass amount of money or wealth or you need to sign up for this program and you don't have to do that anymore. And, or you can go to college and everybody else will pay for your tuition because you don't need to. And I'm not talking about wealth redistribution. I'm talking about in the kingdom of God where God wants to give you things so you can help others. God wants to give you the strength and the wisdom. He wants to use your skill and your intellect if you'll lay it down and give it to Him and say, God, there are towns, there are cities, there are possessions, there are things that you want to give me that I have not built. There are vineyards that I did not plant. There are things that are crops that I did not place in the ground and water them. Somebody else did. And I'm the benefactor. And that's through Jesus Christ. He's the one who paved the way so that we can have the blessings in our life, that spirit of the living God to dwell within us. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 12 says, Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and they shall flow together in the goodness of, God, of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd, and their souls shall be as watered as a watered garden. And they shall not sorrow any more at all. You see, the crop that this world convinces us to plant, convinces us that is so important, is a crop of destruction. It is one that will not sustain you. It will not feed you. It is a crop that gives you no eternal reward with Him. But it is a crop that is damnation. It is going to a place that is forever burning with fire. Don't let that be the destination that the world has convinced you. I'm willing to lay down something that God has given to me. I'm willing to lay down my talents. I'm willing to bury those things that God has given to me. But God wants to multiply them. He wants to take them. 
He wants you to focus upon the goodness of Him, His ability to take care of His children. You see, salvation is a gift that no man can take away, but it is only one that you can lay down. And it's sad today to know of name after name that we can call, and we can call out loved ones, and they paid the price. They cheapened the call of God upon their life, all because they wanted to go so in another field. They wanted to focus on the things of this world, but yet God had a promise for them. And they sit there and tell themselves, when I come back, I will be able to help others. But if they fully understood the call that God had upon their life to keep them in the church so that they could truly help others. Don't use sin and life experiences that take you down the wrong path as an excuse that someday you will find your calling and be able to do your work in the kingdom of God. That's putting you first and not Him. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 it says, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Ephesians chapter uh, 1 and verse 6 through 8, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. God has given us, given us a place that He has called us from. He wants us to have an absolute dependence upon the goodness of God. His salvation is rich and full and free. But if we depend upon ourselves, we will find ourselves not being drawn to Him, but being drawn to our very own works. And no matter what it is in your experience in religion of this world, I'm here to tell you that the absolute truth must be obeyed in the Word of God. You have to obey the Scripture as was penned by the holy men of old. You have to be obedient to the Word of God, not varying even in the slightest. You can't change the name wherewith we are baptized. You can't change the method by which we have the Spirit of God confirmed inside of us. You can't make it more palatable for the world so they won't feel so bad about their sin. You have to preach and you have to teach in Bible studies the absolute Word of God. There is only one way to be saved. There is only one way where you can find and experience the goodness of God where you can have your I am moment when God stands there and calls you by name and says, I know exactly who you are and I'm trying to call you out of a world of tradition. I'm trying to pull you out of a world of lies even in this very moment. I know who you are. And it's upon you. Listen. Listen. The words of this preacher, 
the musicians come. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We read in Nehemiah talking about the strong cities that they took in a fat land and houses full of all the goods and wells digged and vineyards and olive yards and the fruit trees in abundance and they were eat and they were filled. That is the salvation path. I'm telling you, if you will feast upon His Word and, and if you will take Him at face value when He says repent, He's not trying to play word games with you. He's not trying to give men the ability to give them leeway to create some doctrine that makes it easy, but He's telling you to repent of your sins and turn from the ways that you think are right. And God is trying to tell you even this morning a life of pleasing Him and there's nothing that God will not do for you if you'll just surrender everything to Him. God does not reward the deeds that are not in accordance with His Word. You can read the house of Eli was judged because Eli did not conduct his house according to the instructions from God. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But Jeremiah chapter 18 says, and this is God speaking, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then will I repent of the good. That's a dangerous place when God changes his mind. Wherewith I said I would benefit them. When you and I, we can control how much God moves inside of our life. But there are things that we can hold on to. There are things that we can allow to keep us from understanding what salvation truly means. And God says, if that's not what you want, it's your choice. God has a blessing for each and every one of us. He wants to reach into every life and to draw us closer to Him. Just as the examples in the Bible, they bore the consequences of their actions, so do each and every one of us. Just as I read in Jeremiah chapter 18, if it do evil in my sight and obey not my voice, then will I repent of the good. I will change the plan that I had for their life. If they won't, won't turn from their evil ways, I've given them opportunity after opportunity. I've given them time after time. And they say it's just not the right place, it's not the right season, but I'm here to tell you today that God is calling every heart unto Him. It doesn't pick and choose, but He's saying, whosoever will, let them come. And you may ask yourself, how is it that I can please God? It is a repentance of the sins of your life. Today, the path forward must start with repentance. It's a place that even the saint of God, even the seasoned saint of God, has to have that place that is all too tender within their heart. It's that place of repentance. God, look within my heart. If you see any evil thing within me, draw it to my remembrance. I want to be right with you. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, Jesus speaking, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name 
among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, Jesus emphasized the importance of it is going to require that repentance and the remission of sins, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You may say, well, he doesn't say it specifically just that. I'm afraid that he does. If you're just a little confused, the Scripture says in Mark chapter 16, when he's given the great commission to the apostles, the 11 apostles, he tells them, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's not me saying it in joy. I get no pleasure in saying that. But what I do say is that we have water. What doth hinder thee to be baptized in the name of Jesus? That is the pleasure of which I get in this moment, in this service today, that we have the answer for sins to be washed away. Can I get an amen this morning? But it doesn't stop there. You have people that are willing to repent, willing to be baptized and make that commitment, but yet there's no surrender of everything to Him. Without the Spirit of God, you still are not saved. Without God's Spirit, you still do not have what it takes to be saved. And again, I say it not with something that I find pleasure in, but the only pleasure I have is in Scripture because I found it as a refuge that I could run to. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and I righteous can run unto it and be safe. The reason that it's safe is because you have the rightness with God that you know who He is and the power of His resurrection. You know the strength that lies within. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When we have the presence and the power and the anointing of God in our life, we have the confirmation that we are one of His chosen children to be called out of a life of world of sin and shame, to be called out of something that's trying to destroy us and corrupt the vessel that God wants to reach into and restore. That's the beauty of it. Because when His blood is applied, He takes the vessel and gives restoration where sin tries to corrupt, where the rust of the things of this world try to corrupt. He gives restoration. And He makes us whole again. Can we stand this morning? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, there is the outpouring of that Spirit. What I've talked about today is not vague. It's not something that's not accessible. It's not a gift that God wants to give, that He wants to dangle in front of you and say, oh, maybe someday you'll get it. But God says today is the day of salvation. God wants to give that gift to someone who wants it desperately with all that's within their heart. 
You can speak of the goodness of God once you've been filled. You no longer have to reference the testimonies of the church. You no longer have to reference the things of the written in the Scripture. But you can say, I know without a doubt God is good. And His mercy endureth forever. I know without a doubt God is able to do all things. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Nowhere does it say you signed a visitor's card or you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But it says as the Spirit was confirmed in their life, they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit not your will, but the capital S, the Spirit of God gave them utterance. That is exactly how it's confirmed every time without failure in every soul that's ever added to the kingdom of God. And as a matter of fact, it's also confirmed in the saints as they live their life. God takes us and restores us and changes us Let's His blood, you don't have to keep be baptized in the water every time, but we have access to the Father, to the blood that flows down, that restores our life, that renews us, and we keep our bodies and our lives subject unto Him so that when He wants to reach in and restore us, our hearts are wide open. We say, God, change me. You see that? Change me. Pull that out. There is nothing worth going to hell over. In Acts chapter 2, last verse of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That Spirit that says you're one of His. I ask you today, do you have the Spirit of God? Do you have what it takes to be able to speak of His goodness? Do you have what it takes to say, if today was my last day on earth, do I have what it takes? It's sad to say that we won't answer that question even as saints of God sometimes. But there are things that will entertain our minds. We'll say, what if, what is, I should say, your last meal? And you will spend 15, 20 minutes figuring out what your last meal on earth will be. And you put more thought to that than your soul. You're willing to spend 20 minutes on a quiz that someone may send you to figure out your spirit animal. But God is asking for you to evaluate the condition of your heart today. God wants to know, can you speak of my goodness? Can you testify of it? Can you tell others about it? Is righteousness in your heart? Do you have peace? Do you have joy in the Holy Ghost. I open these altars as they begin to pray and sing a song. But I myself want to find a place to pray.
Because I want to make sure there is nothing in my heart that would keep me from being able to speak of the goodness of God. Can we find us a place to pray this morning and talk to Him? Hallelujah.